You're listening to the Teen Wolf Rewolf. So here is the problem <laughs> with us doing a drunk episode. I don't get funny when I'm drunk. I just get loud, and you are probably gonna cry. I might. You know, I got the. I got it like out of the way early on. You were verklempt. I was verklempt. I. It becomes total gibberish. You know, I yeah. just like get very emotional. Like about- any like minute <laughs> emotional stimuli. And I'm like, wow, I haven't felt a feeling in months. I might as well just let it all go right now. <laughs> but truly, I think like any sports movie will do that to me if I'm drinking because I'm like, oh my God, they love each other. Yeah. I'm like, that's what teamwork is. I think they... I think that's like a uniquely American experience. <laughs> yes. Well, I do remember us. We do care the most about sports. <laughs> Watching Miracle. I cried. Yeah. I okay. wept. But here's the thing about Miracle. It's supposed to make you cry. It's a Disney movie. It's a Disney movie. And it's also about um, a period of American history that we kind of, I don't know, we don't really talk about the Cold War. I feel like we do. I feel like we never shut up about the Cold War. I don't know. I feel like it doesn't occupy our imagination in the same way as like other wars, you know, like World War II. Um, And so, you know, you're like, oh my God, there was an energy crisis and oh my God, beating the Soviet Union in things like chess and hockey was such a big deal. Um, And it makes me feel very conflicted about our country. (laughs) Really? Because I just think about that line from Austin Powers when he's like trying to catch up what's her name on what's happened since the 60s. And he's like, there was a flock of seagulls and a gas shortage. You missed nothing. (laughs) I don't know. I, oh. Mm -mm. Oh, I'm I'm just going to listen to Austin Powers. There was a flock of seagulls and a gas shortage and we missed nothing. You know, I actually don't think I've ever seen a full Austin Powers movie all the way through. Really? Because I think when I was little, it was like so scandalous. And then it was just never something that like came up in my rotation of movies that I had to watch. Uh, Becoming an adult, as we all know. I do feel like I watched them with my siblings who Mm -hmm. are significantly older than me, which is what gives me such a breadth of millennial cultural knowledge. Yes. Um, but I also do think I watched one in school. I think after like one of our AP exams, <laughs> we were able to push for Austin Powers. I'm really trying to think about like what was the weirdest movie we ever watched in school. I had to watch The Truman Show for like an actual, I had to write a paper on no, it. No, everybody had to watch The Truman yeah. Show. Everybody did. And that's why when people are like, oh, I like indie movies. And they mention The Truman Show. I'm like, you mean that movie we all wrote a paper about in AP Lit? Coolio, dude. Yeah. I think the things that were like the funniest that I watched um, was like when you are finally in like a senior and you're in your AP classes and you just get to watch like absolutely scandalous movies. I That was like never the thing. I feel like I have seen the movie Stand and Deliver five or six times because Jaime Escalante is like a big deal in Montgomery County, Maryland for some reason. And um, that's another very emotional movie about people in a calculus class, which doesn't sound like it'd be emotionally gripping, but you know, it is. It happens, you know, it does. <laughs> yeah. I re- we watched um Dangerous Liaisons, which there is a oh, lot of Nike in that movie. People are just generally not wearing clothes. I I love that movie. I love Glenn Close. Friend of the podcast. Who among us Glenn does Close. not love Glenn Close? She knows DeButt. She knows DeButt. I well, I met her because I did a master class with her once, which is not a brag. Just I w- went to college, um, and she's delightful. And does like a lot of work for like mental health advocacy and just wonderful. So I like knowing that I Glenn Close could be a friend of the podcast. <laughs> she is whether she knows it or not. I f- 
feel like if we told, if I feel like if I approached her post and I was like, hey, we met a really long time ago. I just want to let you know that we refer to you as a friend of our podcast. She'd be like, isn't that lovely? What a nice honorarium. <laughs> yeah. She's like, well, if no one's going to give me an Oscar, I might as well be a friend of your Teen Wolf podcast. <laughs> oh my God. Do you know what I saw the other day? Well, hold on. Our Teen Wolf podcast. Sorry, this is the Teen Wolf Free Wolf, a podcast where we usually talk about Teen Wolf, but the listeners voted and we had to do a drunk episode on Stick It. So my name is Christian. I'm Julia. And we are drunk and we are talking about Stick It. And Glenn Close. Love her. She apparently wanted to do a sequel to Cruella DeVille where Cruella disappears into the sewers of New York City. <laughs> Why are we getting that Emma Stone movie and not Glenn's vision i don't know but i have no comment on the emma stone movie that's just how i feel i no think comment. that now that we are in the era of disney plus disney plus if you will um, <laughs> <laughs> i actually just don't have opinions on disney things anymore like there's the stuff no. that i will always hold in my heart i can't think about hercules very long without just bursting into flames <laughs> you thought i was gonna say tears but no, I, I understand the feeling. There's something about that Alan Menken score. The Alan Menken, it gets you every time, baby. But now that I do not care about, um, like, I won't care again until I have children. Yes. If and when, so. And I don't know, maybe the movies then won't be good. I That's hope they always, will be. I hope so, for my children's sake. Yeah. But, like, do you remember, like, the, the 20th Century Fox movies that we were getting that they're not getting, like, Anastasia? Yes, Anastasia, which... And I think Road to El Dorado isn't Disney either, right? I don't think so. Oh, God, what a movie. Right? The Road to El Dorado. Um, first of all, the first Bicons yeah, ever in my life. Gay. <laughs> that movie is gay as hell. Every, everybody in it, it's not just the two main characters. I know. Everyone is gay. That's what you get when you don't have to pass the Disney haze code. <laughs> but you didn't hear that from but us. But you didn't hear that from us. <sighs> yeah. So, you know, we'll we'll circle back around. Um, we're not talking about a Disney movie. We are talking about my favorite teen movie of all time. I've talked about it on the podcast before. We've talked about doing this bonus episode for a really long time. I assumed that we were going to do it sober when we, you know, pitched this to the world, but Twitter had other ideas. So... We're talking about Stick It. It came out in 2006. Yeah, it was directed by Jessica Bendiger. Um, I'm not sure if that's how you say her last name, so I, I tried. Um, well, if no one corrects us, then we're right. We're correct. <laughs> um, and also, I find this so incredibly tragic because when I was looking up what um, her other filmography was, is that she was a writer on Bring It On and Aquamarine. Mm. And then she just disappeared after Stick It. That was like the last thing that she was really credited with being a part of. Well, that is my, my only hope is that was a personal choice. Mm -hmm. But I also know that Hollywood loves burying female directors into oblivion. So, yes. so who's to say, I'm sure I could do some actual research on there, but, um, three sheets to the wind. So. <laughs> <laughs> to, for, for good commentary, come back on like a regular, regular episode. <laughs> uh, we're going to, we're going to get there. We'll, we'll dig deep. Into stick it. Yeah. Yeah. At some point. Um, I love Bring It On. I love Aquamarine. <laughs> Who among us does not love a mermaid tale? 
Aquamarine is so iconic in the teenage girl canon that it is referenced in Jennifer's body. <laughs> yes. And, oh my gosh, why can I not remember this actress's name? She was the one who was like continuously, people were like, how dare you take over the role of Marnie in Halloween? Sarah Down. Paxton. Sarah oh my Paxton. Gosh. Yes. Who then went on to play like the evil stepmother in Sydney White, which is a movie I've seen more than once. Not the stepmother. <laughs> she is like a, just a sorority girl. Yeah. But that's, if you're going to make the parallel. She has okay. to be the stepmother. All right. Um, but she's delightful in Aquamarine. She's fun in Sydney White, too. I think yeah. she was a cutie patootie. It's just a bummer that Kimberly J. Brown didn't get her due, you know? Yeah. But she's living the but life. But that's not Sarah Paxton's fault. <laughs> no, like, it's not. The, we, like, the, the crazy thing is, is like, how dare this actor take that role? How dare they do their job how dare they? that they auditioned for for the money they need to earn? What are you people talking about? Like, I get it. <laughs> Copaganda, bad. Do not yell at day players on SVU because they're trying to pay their rent. <laughs> Homelessness or copaganda, it's capitalism's fault. Yeah, exactly. Um, so before we get into our discussion on Stick It, we do have to do a recap. And obviously for our... Um, bonus episodes we do not do a 60 second recap we do a timed recap to see how much we can recall about the movie and who can do it in the shortest amount of time we have an added crazier obstacle this time because uh julie and i are about to do a shot of bourbon (laughs) yeah yeah for just you know to get to know us sakes julia actually likes sipping on a, a bourbon on the rocks keyword being sipping yeah not chugging for anything about me, I don't <laughs> drink hard liquor very often, so... And certainly not brown liquor. Don't worry. If I throw up, we'll edit it out. <laughs> you would never know. You'll never know, except I would tell you about it. You just wouldn't hear the yakking noises, like the me falling out of my chair, running to the bathroom type of... Anyway, so, uh, Julia, what are we cheersing to? What are we doing this shot to? Uh, cheersing to, as of Monday, we will both be gainfully employed at a nine to five job. (laughs) (laughs) That's health insurance, baby. We both have new jobs. We are both, um, moving on in the world. We're both about pumped to start season five of Teen Wolf for the Rewolf. Yes. Hell yeah, girlfriend. Pumped. Um, and to that we say, cheers, babe. Cheers. Mm. I'm very enjoying the chasing going on here. That actually was, uh... Do not not say good. That was so horrible. Oh, no, it's not good. Again, the sipping is the important part, but it wasn't terrible. It's probably not good that I'm chasing it with a high noon, (laughs) but I don't think the water's going to cut it. (laughs) We had orange juice. Oh, no, much worse. No, much worse. You know I don't like citrus. All right, so now that we're significantly more confused, do you want to rock, paper, scissors over who is doing the recap first? Let's do it. All right, ready? Mm-hmm. Rock, paper, scissors, shoot. it! I've never won. No, you won last time. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. Are, <laughs> I mean, neat. Are you going to time me? Yes, but see, here's the thing. You've seen this movie many more times than I have, so you're uniquely positioned to do much better than I am. I feel like I'm going to just do like the three major plot points and then be done. <laughs> deuces okay. okay are you ready yeah okay three 
two, one, go. So Haley and her friends are like BMX biking in an empty pool in Texas and they accidentally commit a bunch of property damage and she gets caught by the police and then she gets pulled into court and they were like, yeah, you either have to go to jail or to VGA. And we're like, what's VGA? And then she goes and it's a gymnastics academy run by this guy named Bert. And she's like, oh, BT dubs, I used to be an elite gymnast and uh, this shit sucks. And then she um, is pulled aside by Bert and is like, hey, listen, man, either I will send you to jail or you start practicing gymnastics again because you used to be really good and you're the reason that you're not good anymore and she's like fucking fine i'll start practicing so she starts practicing and she gets kind of good and then she gets go get they do like an in-house competition and then she goes and her also she's got these great like dude friends who are just great and also they do an in-house competition and she gets selected to go to a classic called the ig classic which is a competition she goes and everyone's really mad that she's the one who ruined worlds years before this is even happening and she's like sorry for being a fuck up or whatever and at this competition you find out that the reason why she walked out of worlds is because her old coach slept with her mom and ruined her family and she walks out of this one because she tried to like get her friends to like throw their routine so she could win the purse money and just quit gymnastics forever because it's like a deep-seated like family trauma she like gets over that and Bert pays the rest of her restitution with the money her dad was paying her which is a whole bunch and then she's like fine I will come and I will do the championship with you and she starts like working with all of her friends and they're working towards the championship and then they finally get there and then um they realize that the gymnastics world is like vastly like corrupt and like there's no actual way to be good at gymnastics you're being judged on like impossible standards so her and her friends start deciding who is going to win each event by scratching so they all are like you do this one you do this one Nastia Lucan is there and she does a full bar routine it's fucking amazing they choose Haley to win at floor and there's this other girl who is there at world with Haley who's like I'm not gonna let you win and then finally she realizes that like yes gymnastics is flawed it's impossible to win and like we should be choosing the people who are doing the most adventurous and dangerous and like amazing things as opposed to being like your titties were out we can't give you a full full 10 or whatever and it ends with Haley winning floor and going deciding that she is okay being back in the gymnastics world so long as she is in control because this is a whole thing about being in control of your own narrative and uh, Joanne goes to prom with Haley's friend Poot. <laughs> Two minutes? Two minutes! And Jesus 13 Christ. seconds. I just, I feel like you gave such a beautifully detailed breakdown of Stick It, and now I have to follow it. Yeah, well, I mean, follow it in like 30 seconds. That was a really long time, my friend, my dude. <laughs> okay, I'll Okay, try. are you ready to do yours, Julia? <laughs> yeah. Okay. Uno, dos, tres. Okay, so uh, Haley and her friends are hanging out in um, a half-built suburban park in Texas, and she does some, like, sick bike tricks, um, but ends up, like, breaking the house, and they're like, actually, um, you can go to jail with the military academy, or you can go to VGA, and she's actually like, I want to go to the military academy, and they're like, psych, you have to go to gymnastics, um, and then she's like, well, I don't want to be good at gymnastics, and uh, Bert is like, well, um, I am going to scam all of these women into believing that their children are going to go to the Olympics, and you can train in the old gym by yourself, because she doesn't want to embarrass herself in front of all of her friends, and then they go go to the competition and Haley's just kind of like mm, a bitch to all of the other girls that she's competing with because she wants to just get the hell out of there and she has a little mental breakdown understandable relatable um and Bert convinces her to come back because he's kind of like her dad and then um they have a fun little outing with her friends Poot and Frank who take them all to the mall and they do little cartwheels down the mall in their prom dresses and then they all go to the big championship and um they decide that they're going to take control of gymnastics and decide who's going to win and lose which sucks for all the other gymnasts who don't get picked to win or lose um and then Haley decides that she's gonna go to college (laughs) (laughs) so for comparison you did it in literally half the time I missed a lot I feel yeah but you got the mall scene which I didn't so you know that's big that's big news babe I love the mall 
I love, well, I love the mall scene. I was not, you were a mall rat growing up, yeah? Yeah, I mean, not, not like every day, but because I grew up um, in Montgomery County, Maryland with a bunch of public transportation, there were like three or four malls that you could decide to go to at any one time with your friends. And there was one that was dying for the longest time. And so you could just like hang out in the children's play area with your friends when you were a high schooler. And it was just a great time. See, for me, so the closest mall to me, like the one that you would want to hang out at was like, like a 30, 40 minute drive. Cause like where I lived, you have to like drive through Detroit to get anywhere else. Mm-hmm. Um, so you just did, didn't do that to go to the mall. Like not, you wouldn't do that after <laughs> school cause it was such a long drive. So we just hung out, um, at playgrounds and hung out in parking lots. Well, that was actually the reason. Getting yelled at by cops. <laughs> at my high school where we weren't allowed to have open lunch, like you couldn't leave the campus because you could walk to a mall from our campus and oh. they were like, kids are just going to leave. And you know what? They were right. I did <laughs> just not at lunch. <laughs> I see. I had open campus and I'm very happy. I, I would take open campus as opposed to having a mall because me and my best friend used to just go and like get Starbucks and bagels and then roll in so late <laughs> to whatever our next class was. Of all the things that had such a death grip on my high school experience, Starbucks and bagels, Starbucks and North face. <laughs> Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, I feel like North Face might be a part of our, our conversation. So before we get into mm-hmm. our big um, Stick It combo, we obviously do this differently than we do our regular regular episodes. So we're going to talk about what works about Stick It, what doesn't work about Stick It. It's cultural legacy, which I feel like it's having a resurgence. Mm-hmm. And a little bit of where are they now? And then finally, our final ratings of the movie. Mm-hmm. Um, so Stick It, as I said at the beginning of this episode, came out in 2006, right? Yes, it did. One year after Ice Princess, very importantly. Well, I'm sure you have so many comparisons to draw there. You love Ice Princess. I really do. Um, And part of the sort of genre is inherently part of the decade it was produced in. Um, And I think that is one of the aspects that works about Stick It. So, Julia, what works about Stick It? Besides everything. Besides literally everything. It is so effing funny. Um, I think... It probably would be fantastic to start with the music of this film because one of the things phenomenal soundtrack it's so so good um one of the things that we have talked about i think on this podcast before and certainly in like our own private conversations is how um teen movies become iconic because of their soundtracks like the soundtrack to 10 things i hate about you or um like i don't know even mean girls mm-hmm. um and the soundtrack and the music for stick it one is nonstop it gives a really excellent energy to the film oh this bitch clips moves oh my gosh is it fun yeah and we start out with the queen herself Missy missy elliott um yeah i love the music i love that it's so um varied across genre yeah truly transcends genre so we start with missy elliott and it moves immediately into a follow boy song and then we have sort of like old timey like perry cuomo stuff and then we also have have um blink 182 next which is great for me personally i love blink 182 green day green day yeah mm-hmm. um and even more hip-hop as it moves on and i think <laughs> i think the sort of the sort of beats of this movie are very much defined by their soundtrack mm-hmm. and not in a way where it feels like emotionally manipulative which is a way you know which happens often in things um because i think the the smartest thing about this movie is the sort of big emotional moments don't have recognizable music. It's either scored or it's instrumental and stuff. And 
we are left to be having fun while mm-hmm. the fun music is playing. And I think that that is so smart. Yeah, I absolutely love it. And this movie came out like pre-financial crisis, but still very much in the Bush era. We're like in his second term at this point. And so, um, you know, to have, I think like all of the Green Day and all the Fall Out Boy and like all of the angst um, while still kind of having fun, I think that was like the the balancing point of making India at this point um, and also existing. Yeah, I mean, I think that everybody in the sort of millennials, millennial generation sort of understands that like a lot of their um, teen angst was answered by music reflecting the general like discomfort of society at that point. Mm-hmm. Um, so like whatever we were all feeling inside, cause that's just what puberty is. It was also being like emanated on the outside of just like sort of unrest and like discomfort with your environment. And the fact that that is sort of funneled into this movie is actually so appropriate because it really is about feeling out of control in your environment and trying to reclaim that in whatever way you can. Literally and figuratively. Yeah, girl. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like the best movies do. Yes. The best media. And the soundtrack, again, is so good. Like, when I think about um, <laughs> the Fall Out Boy song that she does her final uh, floor routine to. Our lawyers made us change the name of the song or so something. So we wouldn't get sued. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. I actually think that iTunes cuts it off as our lawyers made us change the name of the song. Like you have to look, like <laughs> go searching to find the end of it. By Fall Out Boy. By Fall Out Boy. Um, I was <laughs> expressing to you, it makes me so sad that you can't have lyrics in your floor music because that is a song that I remember so vividly from that time and like reflecting how I felt in middle school and yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. And just like sort of being like the anger of this movie, because it is sort of a reflection on society itself or whatever, but like, especially controlling women, um, controlling women, the collapse of the nuclear family. So, so I say that like I'm being sarcastic, but no, I really mean it. No, no, no. Yeah. No, I, I didn't think you were being sardonic at all. Like it really is about, um, you know, isolating women to a place where perfection is the only answer. And when you think about that music, when I was so angry, when I was in middle school and high, early high school, that was the only way to express it. And that is why it's so wonderful that it is soundtracked that way. Yeah. And I, I mean, I think it shares so much DNA with other teen movies of its time, or even I literally was just thinking about Shrek and how like the, the song that I remember most from Shrek is bad reputation, mm-hmm. like the anger, the the fury, the Don't righteous you fury, sexy, sexy lady, the righteous fury of being a teenager. Yeah. Yes. And I have, I think I've, I've, I've expressed this to you about how like teenage girls, um, shoplift. Mm-hmm. I really think that there is a part about your physical body being so uninhabitable um, in a way that is like you are changing and can't express it because it girls don't talk about the type of thing where you have to make your environment uninhabitable. And I feel like Haley, and it's not necessarily a thing about the body or changing or whatever, she is in an uninhabitable space like mentally and therefore makes her environment uninhabitable because that is the only possible reaction, right? It is the only rebellion. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So when she is acting like a total biznatch to every person, that's a phrase from the early 2000s, to every person in this movie, I'm like, yeah, girl, I feel that. I feel it so hard. Yeah. What else works about this movie? Oh, actually, no, I have a different question. How do you feel like this measures in comparison to the other comparable teen movies of its time? So that would be things like Bring It On, um... 
I think that this movie is, um, like a lot of those movies, trying to say something. And whether, like, make a, a real statement about, like, feminism and... Feminism. Yeah, I feminism. mean, like, is it an advanced <laughs> feminist theory? No, of course No, not, not at all. It's a teen movie. Um, but I... I really, really like it. I think it belongs to like a certain class of teen movies Um, like Ice Princess, like Bring It On, the sports teen movies. Yes. Um, And I I think it's interesting because it kind of for me exists outside of like the 10 things I hate about you realm. Um, But I think it has a very similar impact. Um, and the fact that these movies are so... Oh, siren. Do we have to do pack Good stats? Lord, I guess <laughs> I'll do a siren count. We've been, But we've been so hashtag blessed lately with no sirens. You're right. So people aren't burning down their apartments. This seems pretty spicy, though. He, she's close. The worst is when they roll by at 3 a.m. I sleep with headphones in. I'm crazy. <laughs> I can't do that. Because you're crazy. <laughs> what is something was happening? Mm, yeah, um, just let me die. <laughs> you know, I think the female focus of almost all like classic teen movies um, is really special. Well, you know what's interesting when you bring up Ten Things I Hate About You? Like Ten Things I Hate About You, like this sort of whole thing is that Julia Stiles is a feminist, you know, she's a feminist and that's part of why it's like replicating Taming of the Shrew, which like, she doesn't fit in. She doesn't, fit she doesn't in. want to fit in. Shut up, Jughead. <laughs> um, like she, the whole thing is like, it's really, really, really hard to adapt that play because at the end of the day, it's not a feminist play and trying to twist it on anything is, you know, whatever. And that whole point of that movie is like, she's a feminist and understands that her feminism can also embody like a place where men exist. Whereas this movie has no interest in anybody exclaiming feminism, but is also like, this is not a space for men. It also doesn't really seem allegorical for anything. And it no. doesn't, um, it's not an adaptation of anything, which I, is rare for teen movies of that era. Yeah, totally. Um, which, and I do, I, and I don't want to say that one is better than the other, like for whatever, you know, message they're producing. Cause Not again, it is so, it, it's teen movie shallow. Mm-hmm. I wish it was pulling more, but the things that it's pulling is what we're extrapolating. Cause that's what this podcast is. The, what is criticism except extrapolating? What is this podcast except we're just making shit up? <laughs> like we're just projecting. Um, what else works about this movie? Um, I would love to talk about some things that I think coincide, um, the screenplay, the directing, the female gaze. This movie 100% would be absolutely unfucking watchable if directed by a man. I was thinking in particular, there is a scene where Haley is about to get up on the balance beam and we get this really great little close shot up of her hand covered in chalk and like a quarter of her butt cheek. And I was just a quarter, just a little bit of her butt cheek. Just a taste. (laughs) And I'm thinking about like, if a man had directed this, it would be a whole butt cheek or even there's a seat. There's like a sequence of, you know, all of the, the kids getting their leotards sprayed on Mm -hmm. um, with the, the tough skin stuff. And it's so desexualized. Oh my God. Almost mechanical, you know? Mm -hmm. And like, because gymnastics is such an exposed sport and that's part of the commentary that this movie is making that you both have to be naked and also completely like covered, covered Mm -hmm. at the same time is crazy. Um, 
when you see that stuff, there's no lingering thought about what it is because, because at the end of the day, when girls are spraying tough skin on their ass, they're not thinking about people looking at their asses. They're being like, this is going to make my life more comfortable. It's an act of like service to their own body. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, it's almost, it's like, it is like the idea of a a woman filming like a locker room scene um, versus a man filming a locker room scene. Because if you're going to the locker room, you're just there to change into whatever you are there to change into. Yeah. You're there to put on your point shoes. You're there to like tape up your blistered toes. You're there to do like whatever it takes to get you through the day, as opposed to it being like this objectification of your body. Yeah. And I remember, and I'm sure that you did dance and stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, like I have these moments where I think about like my time in show choir. I was so cool. So I did show (laughs) choir in high school varsity two years, baby. Um, and the way that you would have to just when we have to do quick changes because you have to do them Mm -hmm. in your sets, you would just have to be naked. And more often than not, the people helping you backstage were like, the guys in choir with you and or the girls in the other in the choir below you like whatever happened whoever was there to help you zip up your dress it was whatever and it was fine because the actual thing you were doing was for the purpose of your sport or your art form Mm -hmm. which I think gymnastics is one of those things like sport art form connectivity and there is a way to be like, this is sexy. These strong women are so hot and so naked. And the fact that it has absolutely fucking none of that is incredible. Is what, and also what makes it so compelling and so incredible that it reflects these bodies uh, with immense power. Because everything that these girls do is something that I could never do in my dizziest fucking daydreams. No. And it is so crazy. Not just to watch this movie, but I was thinking about the fact that like the Olympics are going to happen this year, which is amazing. Yes. I love the Olympics. Not to sound like an American, but I love, but I the, love Olympics. the Olympics. I love them. And I, but like, I am so pumped to see what Simone Biles is going to do. I am oh. thrilled by the mere idea of getting to watch her perform because the things that she is able to do as an athlete with her own body is like mind-boggling to me do you remember early quarantine there was a trend on tiktok where you had to like put your feet up on a wall so you're upside down hands on the ground and try to put a t-shirt on i do not what i do not remember this okay well tom holland did it so i'm sure you can find it somewhere love him yep um but simone biles was like i'll do you one better and took her pants off doing a handstand (laughs) i believe that i mean once she's like five two 411. I don't know how tall she actually is, but she just has every advantage. Um, of being close to the ground. Yeah. yeah. Okay. <laughs> There's that. But no, I mean, she is just like the most incredible gymnast the world's ever seen. Mm-hmm. And so um, it's in, incredible because I also think like gymnastics is such a traditionally feminine sport. Um, except for like men's gymnastics, but again, like the, the way that the optics of men's gymnastics work is so c- completely different. Um, Something that works about this movie, absolutely no fucking mention of men's gymnastics. Not at all, except for that Bert messed up his whole life. Yeah, well, I mean that his life was rooted in gymnastics. A lesser movie would have some sort of weird competition of like mm-hmm. a dude bros being like, what you guys do is in gymnastics. Whereas like, I actually just genuinely think that men, men who do gymnastics understand that the sports are equal and different mm-hmm. because obviously they perform very different skills to equal difficulty. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. They're not the same. Um, and so, but like to have um, all of this value put 
on a really feminized activity mm-hmm. is so cool. Yes. I, don't, I mean, that sounds like I wish I could put a, a bigger, m- more grand word on it, but it's so, it's so neat to be able, it's like respectful. Well, and I think that, you know, we were, we're talking about bring it on and obviously the writer and director worked on bring it on. I think a little bit of bring it on is a little bit tongue in cheek about the place that cheerleading has in society. But like mm-hmm. anybody who watched cheer during quarantine knows that that is a skill irreplicable by your average person or skating or by or ballet or literally any other kind of professional dance that you might do funny because these are all sports that occupy both like male and female territory and often androgynous territory but are relegated to being like that's for women which negatively affects both the men in that sport the non-binary people in that sport and the women in that sport. Yeah. But I mean, that's so crazy. You know how like biology is becoming, um, considered like a feminine STEM topic because there are so many women who work in the field of biology and it's like the more women who enter a certain field, the more feminine it becomes. Oh, (laughs) it's our fault for creating a gendered language, but, um, we didn't create we didn't, a gender no, we didn't language actually. on me. No, the, but yeah. a gendered society, and it's yeah. not personally my fault, but we have to live in it. But I think that the root of this goes is, like, gymnastics is often relegated to being a girl sport by people who suck. Mm-hmm. And the fact that this movie pays no attention to even trying to approach the it's a girl sport or there's men's gymnastic part of it, incredibly intelligent. And the fact that it is filmed in a completely... Um, honorable way to how in fucking credible this sport is. The fact that anybody could even do this with their bodies is so impressive. And even when we're focusing on what this does to a body, which this does, like when we see Haley dunking in the ice bath, which every gay woman <laughs> on, the inter- on the internet <laughs> has been like, that was it, babies. Um, you know, like you are sort of like, she looks really good, but the other aspect of it is like, she's going through hell to do this. Mm -hmm. And it's not a focus on the sexualization of a body rather than power and how that power gets taken away through injury and vice versa. And I think that that's a really interesting thing to approach and something again, could not have been touched on by, I should say a straight male director. Like I, I think that it requires (laughs) like a very specific interest in the way that women go about their lives to not hypersexualize this. Yeah. I, um, probably will talk about this a little bit more a little bit later, but I like vividly remember reading this book called pretty girls in little boxes, which is certainly outdated by this point because it, it came out in like the early two thousands or the late nineties about, um, competitive skating and competitive gymnastics and how these girls are looked at as pretty girls in little boxes. Mm-hmm. Like they don't have agency, they don't have personalities, um, and the whole ish at the end of this movie where they are like taking over the championships and making the choices of who is going to win because they are individual people. Brilliant, brilliant, and I think you know there is this the cynical and more realistic lens that we kind of have seen moving forward. Like I think the sort of Um, I don't want to say antithesis because I think that there is a sort of really interesting connection between the two, but like you think about I, Tanya, which Mm -hmm. is obviously based on a true story or whatever about somebody who, I mean, 
Tanya Harding was a fucking athlete. I mean, incredible. And I love figure skating. Yes. Like an incredible fucking talent. And the fact that like there was no agency for her to be had. And this is not, not at all to neglect the suffering that Nancy Kerrigan underwent or whatever. Not or whatever. I am sad that she was clubbed <laughs> in the knees. No, but there's like pathology behind yeah, and crime. The, and pathology behind, behind crime, but also the male um, directive yeah. behind that crime. Absolutely. You know? Mm-hmm. And it was a situation where it didn't matter how talented anybody was or how much potential they had. Like everybody, all of the only women got hurt, basically. Yeah. yeah. Um, so I like stick it in the fact that it is hopeful. You know? <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, what else works about this? We got to talk about how funny it is. Oh, my God. This is, I can't believe we've waited this long to talk about it. Okay. So I would describe this <laughs> screenplay between somewhere between like Diablo Cody yeah. and Letterkenny. <laughs> it is like so intelligent, like in a wordsmithing way. And every joke has a sort of undercurrent to it. And I don't always love things that are overly referential. But I tweeted this and I was like, Pariah Carey is the funniest thing anybody could ever call you. It is so funny. And I was actually thinking about this um, because you and I and um, a friend rewatched To All the Boys recently. Yes, my dear friend Maggie. I love you so much, Maggie. Friend of the pod. Friend of the pod. Maggie, Maggie Biggerstaff. Yes. My best friend from high school. Love her. Um, we were all watching To All the Boys I've Loved Before and kind of like you know, bitching about how there's not been a lot of good teen um, movies recently. And I think so much about the jokes in Stick It position it in a very specific point in time. And it positions teenagers as people who like really take stock of the world around them and like have opinions and they collect references because they like want to be cool. And like, it has such a specificity that I think a lot of contemporary teen media is really missing or it goes completely overboard. Yeah. Or I mean like they very much are approaching things like intellectually, you Mm -hmm. know? Absolutely. And that doesn't mean in the sort of like academia sense that means in the like, I can connect point A to point B, either make a joke of it or make a comparison that would make my point work better. Like, I think it's funny. This isn't even like a line that you're really supposed to laugh at, but like <laughs> Bert says something to Haley, like, are you sure? And she's like, I'm so sure I'm practically deodorant. Yes. <laughs> Which is like, she's just referencing a brand or whatever. But instead of her like indignantly being like, yes, I'm sure. I know exactly what I'm about. Blah, 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 blah. Which I think a lesser movie would have done. She's like, Yes, and here's how sure I am. A reference you will know, old man. <laughs> old man. And it kind of, forgive the pun, sticks it to him a little bit. Ha 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 Yeah, I love, um, I love how specific it is. And I love how it treats, the best teen media treats teens like, a, like humans are who are trying to transition into adulthood. Which is what teens are doing. Exactly what you are. Like mm-hmm. I, I remember writing like film reviews and stuff when I was in high school, and I've yeah. read some of them since then, and they are so dumb. But it doesn't matter because I was working really hard to start approaching things intellectually, and yeah. now 
you know, I'm sure 10 years from now I'll listen to this podcast and be like, damn, she was dumb. (laughs) But right now I'm like, I can sit here and be like 10 years ago I was pretty dumb, which yeah, I hope that we all continue to feel that way. Yeah. Um, but there is a level of, um, I think something that's really interesting about it is like the comparison between Joanne and Haley. Where Mm -hmm. Haley is doing what Joanne is trying to do constantly. And it's a little bit of a foil situation where Haley is always able to land the joke. You know? Yes. She does the calling up Mina on the phone and she's like, tell the Foxy more when I got my GED when I was 15. And Joanne says, what does drunk driving have to do with gymnastics? Joanne is always to the left of correct. And even such a sort of like really simple jokes where she's like, this goes against the penile code (laughs) instead of the penal code. (laughs) And that is so, so fun to me because it's like Joanne knows how she's supposed to be handling this, but can't quite because she's just not there for whatever reason. Probably the biggest reason is just as she spent the most of her time in a gym instead of in high school. She's like me in fourth grade who has read so many things that I don't understand. So I'm just applying it all wrong yeah like what books did you read too early and then it fucked you up a little bit for how you're supposed to make those literary references to be honest the list is too long yeah my Uh, mom let me read water for elephants when i was like 10 (laughs) yeah no i read a lot of really inappropriate fantasy at at, in middle school Yeah. yeah um no i i love i love the phone jokes and let me tell you i have never felt more old in my entire fucking life than learning that children today will just put their like flat hand up to their ear to instead pretend of, to be instead on the of phone. like the sort of hang loose motion yeah, yeah. weird oh. if oh. you asked me to pick up a fake phone i'd be like oh yeah hello like my yeah. little you know hang loose oh god the, what's with all the closed captions i'm not a <laughs> mute. mute god a mute. brilliant i mean and that just speaks to how smart the screenplay is because you have to know how to change it just slightly to make it sound wrong mm-hmm. and you're also expecting a lot of your teenage audience to understand why everything she says is wrong which is what makes it so funny and i remember like seeing stick it thinking it was funny and then seeing it the next time you know whatever a year or so later and finding it funnier because all of a sudden there was new jokes to unearth because I wasn't 11 right oh yeah and and what I think is so successful about that is that like both Haley and Joanne's jokes land for me the audience Mm -hmm. because they're doing completely different things and I respect and love them both yes they're both so funny yeah all Um, right but I want to talk about the boys love the boys the boys work so well they are when this is something we could have talked about when we were talking about the female gaze, let's bring it back. Um, having Haley have two dude friends who were like, we're gonna adopt this this weirdo who doesn't because, have anyone. Yeah, because what it, what we infer from the text is that Haley's life was entirely dominated by gymnastics and didn't have these friends until after she had left, and they sort of looked at this girl with no friends and were like, "You like riding bikes." <laughs> We like riding bikes and picked her up in a way. um, And what is so impressive to me, and I think this is a way smarter thing to do, is that they don't really know how to handle Haley's emotions. You know, Haley is going through things that these boys could never really touch on, even if they weren't teenage boys. And when she is like you know, going through it at any point. Like she has these big emotional scenes where she's just sort of crying in the back of their car. They just let her get her feelings out. 
uh, without being like, what's wrong? Can we help? Because that's bogus and no teenage boy would ever. <laughs> yeah. And instead either do things to cheer her up or let her feel what she's feeling, which is so weirdly validating and untouched in so many teen things, you know? Yeah. And it's also super interesting because Haley is definitely coded as like, um, not not like a super femme, but she's not like one of the guys. And when they all go to the mall, the boys have dresses on. And they're like, you know, that comes in spaghetti straps. And they make that whole joke about how Joanne should wear a tux to the prom. And that is exactly what it was like having dude friends. If you were like in theater in high school or choir or like any of those uh, like well, geeky doesn't even to be geeky i can just i think that we can infer that they're like of a subculture you know Mm -hmm. and that inherently moves you away from like traditional gender roles and of course Haley, who is not traditionally feminine but not masculine by any means um finds herself at home with frank who we can infer is gay I choose to read it that way. I choose to read it that way because if it's not, it's homophobic and I'm not, I'm not going to approach that in this film this way. And Poot, who's just dumb and loves his friends, you know? With the, with that emo boy haircut. Yeah. And in no way are either of them being like trying to be there. Neither of them are trying to be manly. I think the sort of really great moment is when Frank, who is coded slash canonically gay gay. okay he's gay gay. he's gay (laughs) is like dude you're whipped and he's like why is that a bad thing when is that a bad thing ever and it's like yeah because whipped is just how men who hate women describe other men who love their girlfriends and want to like be a good partner to them yeah (sighs) which like again this isn't master commentary but nobody was saying shit like this in 2006 Oh, it's so, it is so easy for us to go back and look at things like Mean Girls or Legally Blonde and be like, ugh, that isn't a, like, a radical statement. But at the time... Yeah, it fucking was. In the Bush era. I think people have forgotten about the Bush era. I think they have. <laughs> I really think that. I, I, okay, so this If was you're an American. I learned this today. Mm-hmm. At the end of the Bush presidency in 2008, do you know how many canonically gay characters showed up in genre shows how many there were only 10 genre shows (gasps) and that was that means 10 shows total that Mm -hmm. wasn't like i mean we're kind of skipping out on like will and grace there but like nobody was talking about that kind of stuff yeah will and grace is such a fantastic example of people who are like that will and grace is offensive or it's like not radical and i'm like but you don't understand that when it was airing yeah it was radical yeah yeah and, and also, like, this sort of, it was offensive commentary. We can leave that for the essays we write on it later. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, I think we do need to move into what doesn't work. Well, speaking it's, about... Speaking of the Bush era, <laughs> the it's Bush era. a little dated. It's a little dated, and I feel like we're going to contradict ourselves just a little bit in terms of judging things um, from when they're made. But, of course, we as people who are watching it in the year of our Lord 2021 um, are going to be applying our current biases to the things that we are watching. And these were things that were dated quickly. Like, there's this big joke that the two boy characters, Putin and Frank, like, refer to Haley as Cracker. Which is just not a thing you hear in now, nowadays. Well, it's not a joke that I ever hear made by other white people anymore. No. Um, you hear it made by like your, your black friends, um, but even less and less so mm-hmm. now. Uh, I think the sort of equivalent to that joke, that if we wanted to update it, it would be like basic or white girl or whatever. Mm-hmm. Chuggy. 
You, they would not be calling her cracker anymore. Um, whenever I hear someone saying that something is chuggy, I just think I won't hear it and I won't respond to it. Rest in peace, Jessica Walter. Um, I won't hear it and I won't respond to it. I think <laughs> I, I think chug has a place in culture. I get, okay, hold on. We're getting into this. I think Chug has a place in culture. Hold on, hold on. I think Chug has a place in culture, but I think that the commentary that it is still about policing female behavior is correct. It's basic part two. And you're right. Should anybody be wearing military jackets anymore? You're out of touch if you are. You are out but... of touch, but here's the thing. It doesn't fucking matter if you're out of touch. Being in touch does not, it does not represent what you contribute to society. Not at all. I mean, I will be like, that's out of fashion, but it's also not on me to decide what is worth, what is worthy, you know? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> now that we've finally, of course, now that we've finally come around on the whole basic thing, pe- they had to invent a new word. Yes. To um, police. Girl, I wear my Uggs every day. <laughs> Like I, it, it is kind of like the trend on TikTok that was like turning myself into my Republican Sona. And it's like, are you making fun of Republicans or are you making fun of women who don't know how to wear makeup and like chevron print? I don't understand. Yeah. I don't get it. Like do those. Okay. So here's the thing. Like, <laughs> is everybody who likes chevron print a Republican? No, no. But do all Republicans like chevron print? That's where we have to start deciding. It's squares know. and rectangles, man. Yeah. God. Ugh. Anyway, uh, away from Juke. This movie is not as... I, the funny thing is, is I actually think that if you updated like three of the jokes and pitched the same screenplay, it would be received so much better. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, in a lot of the movies that we have talked about on this podcast and have talked about liking got buried by critics because they came out like three years too early. Yeah. Jennifer's body was an example. The fact that Jennifer's body got like (laughs) buried by bad marketing. And like, I love Juno. I know you don't have the same feelings about Juno, but I think Juno is a phenomenal movie. And Diablo Cody has been like, you know, I wouldn't write that movie now because yeah, it's dated. It's 2006. Um, but the fact that that one managed to escape to Oscar, you know, nomination is incredible because nothing was happening for these kinds of movies at the time. Um, and I, as much as I think this movie is dated, I also think that there is a way to update it and put it back out into the universe that is way more willing to accept it for what it is. I would agree. I also just, I don't know. I kind of think about what the cultural conversation around gymnastics is right now, as opposed to in 2006, which I mean, I have no idea because I don't follow professional sports and I didn't when I was in sixth grade when this movie came out. Um, so I, I feel like the conversation around gymnastics has changed so much that I don't, you could make stick it, but I think people will be like, you're not addressing the concerns I actually have. I, you're right. I actually think, and like not to drag anybody down to like the depths of despair, you could not make stick it in the post what we know about like Larry Nassar era. No. And, and I was thinking about that as we were watching this movie, which is just like such a horrific, horrific thing um, to have happened to people that it happened for such a long time and that it now like, um, and that it was happening while this movie was being made and yeah, completely and, untalked and about. previous to that, yes. even. Um, and so now we can't really talk about gymnastics in the same way at all. No. And 
I mean, I just, especially like, and I don't want to sit here being like, I love this movie. If it reflected, you know, anything, if it brought any negative emotion out of any of the victims of, of, of that kind of stuff. Um, but you're right. It is dated to an extent, but it also could not re- be reproduced now. So if in 2015 this movie aired, people would be like, hell yeah, girl boss. This is the best movie you've ever seen. Girl boss. Girl boss, yeah. <laughs> um, but I don't think it being dated is inherently its biggest problem. Like, mm-hmm. people, you know, <laughs> like, when you think, think about, like, it would be really hard to produce things like any of the classic movies we like. Mm-hmm. Trying to reproduce, like, Breakfast at Tiffany's wouldn't really go all that well. I mean, if you cut the Mickey Rooney part, maybe. Yeah, but the thing is, <laughs> but like, even then, cutting a whole part. Okay, like cutting Roman Holiday, movie. whatever. Like you know, it just. God, I love Roman Holiday. I know you do, but you're no, you know what I'm saying. I, I love Stick It, but yeah. you know, we can't sit here and be like, it's perfect. Well, it's not. It's not perfect, but we also can't sit here and be like, why isn't it? You know, 2020 mm-hmm. passable. What else doesn't work about this movie? I actually think that Stick It makes a crazy observation with completely not meaning to at all is this something that works about the movie or doesn't doesn't work about the movie um the the social commentary not about gymnastics but about the criminal justice system and particularly as it applies to minors i'm gonna let you go at it um i mean well i really do feel like this is kind of stating the obvious because um you know Haley is a white girl from a theoretically modestly affluent family who can afford to put her through like crazy amounts I of I saw that McMansion and I know how much gymnastics training she's gotten. She's a rich lady. Yeah, and she's an only child, so she doesn't have any siblings to uh spend any of that money on. And so like to to have this movie start off with her like in a courtroom um and and making this whole joke about like relationships and you know she's not ready for a serious courtship and then she ends up in the courtroom and they're like you know you can go to the military academy or you can go to VGA and her mom is acting like it's this life sentence to go to VGA and none of these options are jail yeah whereas like <laughs> if she were a black 13 year old she would have been tried as an adult Yes, which is a thing that so, so many states still do, depending on what you have done. Probably not for property damage, but like you would, you would probably be sent to juvie, which is like a horrific place to go to. Um, And the fact that that's not even uh, considered as like an option for Haley. And I think about the moment when um, she's having that conversation with the judge and Bert has written that letter and he's like, I like implore you to take her feelings into account. Oh my God, in what fucking world? Well, I also just want to say that it doesn't really matter what he wrote because he already paid the restitution. So at the end of the day, like the only way to beat the criminal justice system is to be rich. Uh, rich and white and to have someone else bail you out. Yeah. Um, yeah, it, it just... It is making a commentary. It's making a commentary on like race in America, but like not intentionally at all. Unintentionally. And I also think that like we were not having the conversations we were having. Like, I don't even really think if you sat down with anybody who was writing on this movie or directing on this movie and you were like, have you thought about, you know, the ramifications of representing the criminal justice system in this way that they would actually respond to it? If anything, they would be like, wait, you're telling me what? Because I think when most people learn that a lot of black children are tried as adults, it's fucking horrific and they had never heard that before yeah so i do think that that is another thing where it's like yeah this didn't age well because we just don't talk about things like that it's Mm -hmm. been 15 years since this movie came out 
So if that is one of the things that didn't age well, I, it's because this, that is a recent conversation. Oh yeah, it is not. I don't think necessarily a fault of the movie, but it's so hard to go in and look at it from the perspective that we have from the past five years, even, and not see that as kind of like a glaring, um, not necessarily oversight, but it's like crazy to think that they didn't know what they were doing. But I genuinely believe that they that that did not even cross their minds. Yeah. Okay. Moving away from politics, you know what doesn't work about this movie? What? Okay, so you know when Dance Commander is playing at the in-house competition and it's like all of this weird CGI where it's like superimposed where they're all doing their routines together and it looks like a fucking Microsoft screensaver? Yeah. That didn't work. Oh, it would have worked for a single shot. A single shot and the fact that it happens for a full like two minute sequence is like hello well what's so crazy is that like they clearly thought that they were taking a hot fresh look at the montage and it just doesn't work no it doesn't because i would rather see what all of their individual routines are especially since we're trying to judge who is supposed to be going to the classic Mm -hmm. and if the comment is like they're all within a couple points of each other i want to know what those couple points are yeah, I mean, I think that p- part of it is like, oh, they want to show the breadth of competition and like how many different kinds of skills there are. And how do you do that? You condense everybody into doing one singular try at the show, vault or the bars. Show or us three vaults, three floors, three bars, like whatever, you know? Mm-hmm. Well, they and they clearly like hired gymnasts to work on this movie. So it would have been so much more impressive to see them doing that. Like there, there are jaw dropping moments in this movie and yeah. you don't get to see any of them in that bizarre editing. Yes. Yeah. And when we see sort of Mina's first vault in the competition where she does like the triple front, which is crazy. I was just sitting there being like, yeah, I wish we had seen that she was capable of skills like that in anything previous that wasn't the IG classic where she's messing up because she's throwing tricks she can't control. Yeah. Um, I mean, I know that, like, I love I love a, a close shot, but, you know, there are so many times where Haley comes to talk to Bert and other people are doing um, exercises, and it's like, I kind of want to see what the other girls are doing. And it cuts away from that super quickly, like... I I want to see the prowess of the people that they've employed to be in this movie, and they they sacrifice that for what? Yeah, for what? Did you have any other notes on the directing? Um, for the most part, I liked it. I I really um loved the VGA gym. I think that it was beautiful. I love. It's a little bit more production design. It is, but yeah, but like every the look of the movie, just in general, um. I thought it was good. There were a couple of um, shots that I thought were really good. I, I like an aerial shot most of the time. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I thought it was pretty solid. Yeah. I think get. there's a really fun moment where Haley is going through her like gymnastics tells you no monologue where she goes and does a flip and then ends up on the trampoline. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought that was really good. I also think the sort of reflection of the old gym versus the new gym is really interesting to me because it kind of creates this, we are, the whole movie is sort of creating the sort of narrative that like gymnastics is old fashioned and needs to be moved into the new world. But what the old gym, new gym thing does to me, like tells me is that like the new world is just actually reframing old fashioned ideas. And I think that that is a far more interesting commentary than being like, we need to break away from them. It's like, no, we need to discover why they're still here. Mm-hmm. Um, and I thought that that production design was really good. I think some of the, like, like I said, like this movie could not work with a male director. It is so, it has to be focused on the body in a completely 
medical way um in a way that also impresses you um and there are still like other things that i f- find <laughs> isolating like i um you know i i struggle with haley and bert's relationship i don't find it inappropriate but i don't really find that her sort of comfort in him in the end is earned i would agree and that I'm having trouble calling up um, a similar relationship to compare it to, but um, I do think that a lot of movies don't know how to deal with um, father-daughter relationships or like father-figure relationships, um, you know. And there were there are a couple of moments where you you kind of feel like that's justified, um, but he, oh my god, he's so fucking mean to her. He's not only mean to her, it's like there is a literally a financial, um, like power over her, yeah, (laughs) which I hate. And I do think that like Bert is the only adult that cares about her because beyond Bert, the only people who care about her well-being, her well-being are Putin, Frank, which we love them when we talked about it. But again, we also said that they have no idea how to connect with her like emotionally, like Bert knows where she's coming from in a way that nobody else does and does kind of emotionally take care of her, but it actually first takes her dad paying him off to do that. And if I were Haley, I would still be so wary of him by the time the end of the movie comes, even if he is proud of her and she is happy for his help. Mm -hmm. I just, it just felt a little too like, thanks dad. And it's like, that's not, no. Well, they clearly wanted to put him in like indirect competition with uh, DeFrank or whatever his name is, who mm-hmm. was her former coach who like her mom cheated on her dad with. But the fact that there's not like one singular sympathetic mom in this movie, the fact that like they're all relying on this validation um, from Bert, who who just like decides their whole lives. Yeah. He decides that Joanne's not going to go to the IGA, whatever, the championships. Or, yeah. Um, and and she, I think, rightfully is very upset by that. You know? That he, like, he is so capable of um, snatching things away from them. Yeah. And I think you're right about, like, the sort of there's no sympathetic moms, which is, like, here's the thing in the world, like, gymnastics or competitive sports, anything high-ranking competitive, you're actually unfortunately not going to find a lot of sympathetic moms. That's, you know, the Mm -hmm. stage parent narrative is real. Um, There needs to be one. Uh, One. And the fact that there is a female coach that we know nothing about is infuriating. Except that she's Russian. Yeah. That's it. Cool. Neato. Yeah. Okay. Russians like gymnastics. That feels like a stereotype. (laughs) Yeah. Kind of odd. Yeah. That was frustrating. I was like, we need an actual female like power symbol in this movie that isn't just Haley because she's a wild child. She's different and she can whatever and like inspire the girls around her. Like I would way rather. I would. I I also think it would be dynamically more interesting and like I... (laughs) Love Jeff Bridges in this movie. Love him, love him, love him, love him, love yes. him. Yes. Yes. Would find it dynamically more interesting if it was like a washed up female coach. I would agree. It kind of gives me weird, like, um, cowboy going to tame a wild horse narrative. A I little. love a horse movie. Yeah. Um, and, and that just like, in terms of like a human dynamic, doesn't sit really well with me. No, it's not great. At all. Yeah. All right. Have we wrapped up what we don't like? I think so. Okay. So cultural legacy 
this movie is, as I said previous, is like kind of experiencing like a cultural resurgence. A renaissance. You if cannot you will. go on TikTok without seeing it right now. Um, or Twitter. People are like, this movie is so under talked about. And it's like it yeah, you're right. It totally is. <laughs> it was not it, I think it has a twenty three on Rotten Tomatoes, which is let's check fucking criminal. Keep talking, I will look. Um and I do think that people are sort of re reevaluating. I think that this has been a big part of people becoming more aware of the media they consume and aware of how they're supposed to talk about it, which is just, you know, part and parcel to being on the internet era. I think that people are reflecting on the movies that they're using and then all of a sudden realizing that Stick It was one that they should have paid more attention to, but as I said, was sort of buried in critical obscuria. And that's really unfortunate because, as I said previous, if this had come out in 2015, it would have been absolutely relished as like a feminist, you know, knockout of the park kind of movie. And despite all of the flaws we've talked about, one of which we didn't really mention, it's very white, which is kind of weird from gymnastics. Yeah. I mean, obviously, gymnastics is a sport of privilege. There's going to be a lot of white people, but like there's one Asian character in the whole movie. Mm-hmm. And it, no black characters at all. And to th- I mean, I think you could say that about so many, so many teen movies. Like every teen movie that it has a grip on my heart is just, unfortunately, a white movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but I think that now that we're reevaluating how we approach, you know, the movie that is now that we're reevaluating how we approach not only movie made for young people, but but like movies made for young women and media made for young women, and now learning how to examine it. Um, as its own genre, which is part and parcel what this podcast is about. Mm. Um, people are way more receptive to it. But again, its initial its initial like critical reaction was bad for yeah. I do not know what reason. 31% on Rotten Tomatoes, just so mm. you know. Like, <laughs> could you imagine this movie coming out now and getting a 31%? No, and it really doesn't make any sense to me because there's so little to quibble with in terms of like it as a movie technically. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, and I would be, what's the bring it on score? Do you know? I, I do not know. Um, oh. I can tell you that uh, Stick it has a 6.4 out of 10 score on IMDb. IMDb doesn't count. Come no, on. It doesn't. Um, but bring it on, you know, interestingly enough, bring it on has like a million and one sequels. It had a TV show for a while. Yeah. Um, weird, not weird, but interesting that like Stick it did not get a similar kind of treatment. No. Um, I don't know, maybe cheerleading is just captures the mind. I will also say that Bring It On had like a bigger reach and also a more celebrity cast. Yes. Um, I cannot find it like the um, it doesn't come up. (laughs) The Rotten Tomatoes. Maybe Bring It On is too powerful. Bring It On. Let's see. Like you actually have to click on the on it has a sixty three percent. Okay, so yeah, that's kind of right. Yeah, like I actually think Stick It is the superior movie. Yeah. Also, okay. Speaking of like people uh, who are in these movies, like Elijah Dushku, mm-hmm. where is she? Uh, Missy Peregrine on cop shows. Like, what's she doing? Cop shows. Cop shows. Got to pay the bills, man. Yeah, and no, no disrespect. It's just like yeah. she deserves. Better. Well, Missy Peregrine, I think, is another one of these things that, that really works. She was, like, working as a model before she got scouted for this movie, which, 
I don't always think that it really works to hire models to be actors because they are very different skills. For example, I could never be a model, but I did go to acting school. So Alexis Bledel, a model before she ever acted. And that is why she and her mother are always hugging on Gilmore Girls because she could not ever hit her mark. She got better. Oh, but yeah, yeah, was a model. See, very, very different skills. Yeah. Um, I do you remember the actor's name who plays, uh, um, Joanne? Uh, I think her name is Vanessa Langes. Yes. Or something. Uh, they ended up on Glee. Oh, you know what? Let's just move into this. So, where are they now? Jeff Bridges is still Jeff Bridges. (laughs) He's just we don't need to touch on that, you know. Yeah. Um, a lot of these other actors and or actresses really didn't do a lot after this. Miss Peregrine was on a couple things. She was on a show called Reaper. She was on a couple cop shows. She's still working. What mm-hmm. I would just call is like a working actress. Like that's her job. Um, I really never understood why she was never sort of pushed into stardom in the way that you would think she would be yeah. after this movie. She's so beautiful and charismatic and really charming. Talented. Yeah. yeah. I just, you know, um, and then... Vanessa, what'd you say? Vanessa Lenji's um, was on Glee. Well, most famously, yes, and came out as gender fluid and bisexual in her own documentary series, The S Word, love as opposed that. to the L Word. I appreciate that for them. Love them. Yeah. Love. Yes. I'm. I'm here for that. Super here for that. Um, and I know a lot of the a lot a lot of the, like the background, you know, um, was done by, um. Gym, gymnasts. I, the craziest thing is that the biggest story out of this is that Callan Lutz ended up in Twilight. <laughs> Callan Lutz, who plays Frank. <laughs> um, yes, Nastia Lucan is retired, but only 30. That's that's just gymnastics shelf life. Yeah. Nastia Lucan, I, I tweeted this. I was like, every time I watch this movie, I'm like, Nastia Lucan's here. <laughs> Again, we love the Olympics. Yes, it's yes. like having Michelle Kwan in Ice Princess. Yes. Yeah. Yep, 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 yep. I love that. Mm-hmm. Um... So this movie has a strong cultural legacy, but not as much sort of um, proliferation of its cast as you would expect, which is interesting, but also maybe just a sign of the times. I think so. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Should we move into our ratings? Let's do it. Great. What do you rate this movie? I'm going to give it two different ratings. Go ahead. On a personal level and on like a technical level as a movie, I'm going to give it an A minus. Cool. On a cultural, social commentary level, I'm going to give it a C minus. Just like, just give it a B plus, you <laughs> idiot. Uh, a C plus. What is your rating? Like on my sort of nostalgia, like love it forever. It's like an A plus. Mm-hmm. But yeah, like the. But I don't want to sit here and be like poo poo bad social commentary from two thousand six. No, no, no. But like, I I think if we're looking at it critically, that's how I feel about it. If I had to like talk about it or recommend it to someone who hadn't seen it as like a youth, you know. Yeah, I mean, you. it would be really hard to try to reinvent nostalgia for this movie, but I'm not, like, again, because it's so... I'm not anti-stick it. No, I know. I, it's just too dated for me to try to try to want to be like, oh, but before you watch it, here's the cultural discourse about it, you know? So I'm just mm-hmm. going to give it the A. I give it for me being nostalgic and I understanding that I would not want to pitch it as, like... A girl it's boss not a film. It's girl not a movie. <laughs> yeah, you know. Although in the way, uh, although especially like we said in comparison to so many other things at the time, it was. Mm-hmm. So who can never be sure? It contains multitudes. It does. Me too, bitch. Um, uh, another rating question. Yeah. How mm-hmm. would you rate from the beginning of this podcast to now? How would you rate your drunk level? 
I feel very sober right now. I'm super sober. I think the second we started doing actual analysis, I was like, I'm here. I'm present. I, I am felt present. myself yeah. zoning out for a moment, but then I was like, I'm back and I'm you sober. You didn't want to hear what I had to say I'm about here. <laughs> I'm so present. I heard everything that you had to uh-huh. say. Yeah. Yeah. I think we got past, once we got past our 10 minute intro, I was like, all right, I'm good. I think it's the four pieces of pizza that I ate. Yeah. Oh yeah. We did eat a lot. Yeah. Good, because I have to go to work tomorrow. Thumbs up. Thumbs up. Uh, how many sirens did we get? Um, One at the beginning. I heard another. Not sure if it's going to show up. Although I feel like every time we're like, I'm not sure if you can hear this on the podcast. It blares. You could just hear um our friend, Hubby, scrabbling in the background desperately. Yeah. Um. Yeah. I counted um, too. Well, wonderful. Guys, I'm so happy you joined us on this drunk episode, as we just said, which got a lot less drunk as it went on. We have been talking about doing Stick It Forever. It's a movie I love. Um, it's a movie Julia loves despite being salty. Um, yeah, it's my personality. And we are just excited to share this bonus ep- episode with you guys. Oh, maybe I'm getting drunker. <laughs> um, <laughs> we're excited to share this bonus episode with you guys. If you really, if you liked this episode, please follow us on uh, Twitter at Teen Wolf underscore Rewolf. This is usually a Teen Wolf podcast. It's also most our, of the time. Most of the time. That's also our Instagram handle. You can find us on Tumblr at Teen Wolf Rewolf, and our Facebook group is Teen Wolf Rewolf Podcast. If you really like this podcast, you can review us on iTunes. Um, it helps us find new members of the Wolf Pack of people who like Teen Wolf and want to talk about it. Just throw us a review. We would endlessly appreciate it. And if you really, really like this podcast, you guys can buy us a coffee. It's just ko-fi.com forward slash Teen Wolf Rewolf. We're not asking, but um, we just have a link up to you know help cover the cost of doing this podcast. We've had people donate and we are endlessly <laughs> appreciative. It's fucking crazy that anybody would be like, yeah, I'll give money to these girls to talk about Teen Wolf but we appreciate it all the same um, and we put out a lot of bonus content that we would never ask anyone to pay for but if you feel like doing so we would really love that uh, if all is said and done I have been Christian I've been Julia and we will be back to talk about season 5 next week baby <gasps> pew 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 and we hope you guys have a wolf of a week a woo